So this morning we have a neat opportunity. Uh, David and Katka Bordner are uh, missionaries in Slovenia, but uh, David goes way back to when I was the youth guy at North Shore, and he was a kid in the youth group, all right? And uh, so to watch him grow up and now go across and serve uh, and uh, to just be doing significant things for the Lord is really pretty exciting. And, uh, and so David's here this morning, and he's going to come and share. So would you give him a warm Norfew welcome? David, come on up. my PowerPoint clicker, so we'll survive without it. Um, So, like Steve said, we go way back. It's good to be here. I had the chance to speak a couple years ago here, and as a Northview missionary, it's great to be here with you guys again. Um, So can we go? I have the obligatory. Keep going. This is a family picture. So nice. Three under three. We're surviving, barely. Lots of diapers. Chaos. The flight back from Europe was fun. <clears throat> so we serve in a country called Slovenia, so you can go to the next slide. So most people are familiar with Europe. You got the Italy boot, and then Slovenia is right there, former Yugoslavia. It's a country of about 2 million people, <clears throat> and as far as we know, there's about 1,400 evangelicals in the whole country. So just in terms of overall picture, that's 0.09%, so less than a tenth percent evangelical. So not a lot going on. Um, I'm a missionary with the organization Josiah Venture, and our heart is to reach young people in Eastern Europe. So a lot of these Eastern European countries, as they come out of communism, um, there's a new openness, accessibility among this younger generation that hasn't gone through all of the, the junk and the problems of communism. And so our heart really is to the belief that if we can reach this young generation, they're the future of the church. So that's what we're doing. And as I talk with you this morning, I was thinking about what I could share and how to share it. And so rather than just telling a bunch of fun stories and kind of doing a presentation, I wanted to dig into the word and then also share with you something that we wrestle with on a daily basis in Slovenia. So we're going to be talking out of Matthew 7, which is on judging. So I don't, as far as I know, there probably aren't very many missionaries who come back and give a sermon about judging, but that's what we're going to do today. Because we, we live in a world of people pastors, denominations that don't trust each other, where they're um, attacking each other, where they're fighting against the very people that we should be working together with to reach all of those millions of lost people in the country. And yet our energy gets spent fighting against each other. And so this issue of judging is something that is really close to our hearts. And I hope as I share, there'll be something for you in there, but also so that you guys will get a picture of our world and what we deal with as we try and bring these young people into these churches and have it be a home um, for, for the bride of Christ. So let's open up. Um, so Matthew 7, <coughs> and I'll read 1 through 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So Jesus is giving us this one section here, kind of three different ideas, this 
don't judge or you'll be judged. The fact that splinters and planks. And then this last part of don't give to dogs what is sacred. So we're only going to talk about those first two just because of time. I would have loved to dig into this last part because I think it's really good. But before we get into what judging is, I want to I say what judging is not. <coughs> so as you, I had an uh, experience a couple, uh, like two months ago with a guy, and we were sitting there talking, and there were some, clearly some things off in his life, how he was living. He's a professing Christian. And so I sat down with him. We had a great conversation, and I challenged him on a bunch of these ways he was living. And he turned to me and he said, how dare you judge me? How dare you judge me? And he went on this whole thing about how wrong I was to say the things I said. And I remember thinking, well, I don't know if that's true. I mean, here I am. I'm the one guy that, that came to you and is talking about this stuff. No one else is doing it. And, and I think I'm loving you. And yet here I am getting attacked by you. And so it, it, it stirs up these questions of like, what is judging? And what is Jesus trying to say here? Because he says, don't, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. And, and yet, what do we do with that? Do, do we just agree with everyone with how they're living all the time? So there's a couple things that I think judging is not. First, judging is not always being nice to everyone all the time. So if you look at verse 5, Jesus says something that's not very nice. He says, you hypocrite. So even in this section, Jesus calls these guys hypocrites. Well, that's not a very nice thing to say, Jesus. And actually, you can look at the whole New Testament, most of the stuff Paul wrote, and he says some encouraging things, and then he's really aggressive in how he's talking to people about their behavior. So judging isn't just being nice to everyone all the time. <coughs> um, I also think this passage is not saying that we're never to judge, that, oh, who, you know, we're sinful, who are we? You know, God will do that someday, but it's not our place, you know, God will take care of it. Because verse 5, he basically, Jesus is telling us how to judge correctly. He says, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then, then you can help someone with their sliver. So Jesus is actually giving us a strategy on how to judge correctly. So we're called to judge. And then the final thing I don't think this passage is saying is, is that if, if we judge others, that God will judge us. Like, as far as I know, this is my opinion, what I read and studied, I don't think this is a us and God passage. Now, there are other passages that talk about God will judge us for our behaviors, our actions, all those things. But this passage, everything about these three sections feel like they're talking about these kind of relationships, horizontal, brother to brother, sister to sister. And so I used to feel like it was a threat. I'd read this and go, ooh, if, if I say something mean to other people, then God's going to, boom, strike me with lightning. And I don't think it's saying that. I think Jesus is actually helping us to, to talk about how, how can we judge the right way. So if we take a step back and look at kind of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is talking about here, there's a whole bunch of uh, different ideas where Jesus is challenging the Pharisees. And, and as you read through these, he's saying, um, like there's a, there's a wrong way and a right way to pray. And there's a wrong way and a right way to do your acts of righteousness. There's a wrong way and a right way to fast. And he's comparing these right and wrong. And then we get to this passage on judgment. And I think Jesus is continuing this theme and he's saying there's a right way to judge and a wrong way to judge. So to help us kind of clarify what I think the right way and wrong way to judge is, I want to uh, flip over to 1 Corinthians real quick. <laughs> so this term um, to judge here in Matthew 
it, the, the definition or what this word means, it actually means to consider, to determine, and to decide. Okay? Consider, determine, decide. Evaluating. So when my wife and I, when we choose a babysitter, we have to judge a babysitter. We have to consider, evaluate, decide, is this a good person to stick with our kids or not? Is that, are they responsible? Are they good with children? You know, are they going to let them drive the car? Like we have, to, we have to make an assessment about a person. Are they good or not good? <coughs> so 1 Corinthians 4. So this is the kind of judging that I think we're not called to do. So I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says, My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. This is the important part. He says, He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. And I think when we judge people's motives, that, that's not our place to judge. It says God will expose people's hearts, what's going on below the surface, and that that's not our job to do. And then let's jump over to uh, chapter 6 real quick. I'm just going to read these first six verses. <clears throat> and this whole thing is actually Paul telling Christians that they need to judge. Verse 1. If any of you has a dispute, <laughs> dispute, dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about, about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Again, Paul, not very nice. It is possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers. But instead, one brother goes to the law against another. And this is in front of unbelievers. And actually, if you take a step back and look at the broad scope of scripture, there's tons of places where it talks about judging. It says, watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. First Thessalonians talks about test everything, measure, evaluate. And so there's this idea where we're actually called to judge, to evaluate, to make considerations about people. But I think we're called to do that based on their behavior, just the things we can see. And we start slipping down into places that aren't ours to judge when we start going down into people's motives, why they're doing that. I remember a while ago I was driving a car and uh, this kind of low rider cut me off. I had to slam on my brakes. They didn't use their blinker, kind of had the seat reclined way back, you know, hat tilted to the side. And I just remember going, you know what? I remember when I was a teenager, I was totally selfish, thought I owned the road, didn't care, did what I wanted. Teenagers, you know, and I'm a youth worker, so I'm thinking, you know, why? What makes teenagers do that? I mean, what? Uh. And I remember I'm driving behind this car, and I'm just, I'm all worked up. Oh, teenagers and their driving habits, and uh, he doesn't have experience. I pull up next to the car at a stoplight, a little ways ahead, and I look over, and it's a 90 year old man. <laughs> this old Pontiac, you know, hat on sideways, seat reclined. He's just trying to, trying to drive. Now, the. The godly, the, the godly judgment stops at behavior. So, so what was the behavior that I could see? He, I got cut off. That's all I know. I was cut off. Now I have a bunch of questions about why. And I think as people, we, we don't like to have this unknown answers. We kind of, we like to fill in the blanks about, well, why would someone do that? There has to be a reason. 
well, I'm pretty smart, so I'm going to fill in the blanks. And then pretty soon that takes us to this spot, and we start filling in more blanks. You get a little worked up, emotional. And pretty soon we're down this road where I've decided everything about this guy, his driving habits, that he's selfish, doesn't care about other people on the road. And I took it to this place where I was assigning motives to what he was doing. And I think godly judgment stops at behavior, and only there, and ungodly judgment moves to a place where I'm judging motives and why people do what we do, the things hidden in people's hearts that we actually aren't called to decide. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a, a ministry that I lead in, in Slovenia, and there's a, it's a 24-year-old girl who's running it. She's great. And I, we were doing some email correspondence, and I, at the end of one of my emails, I said, hey, make sure you talk to this person and have this conversation with them. And I didn't know this at the time, but she read that email, and she thought, well, David is so bossy. Why is he so bossy? Well, he doesn't trust me because I'm young. Why doesn't he trust me? I am competent. He doesn't trust me. He's American. I'm, you know, I'm a national. He, he has a problem with that. And she starts traveling down this road, and she's, she's, she's a fiery girl, and she was very fiery towards me. Now, I didn't know this at the time. We, we had a conference a couple weeks later. And we're talking, and just over and over again, she's being really short with me, kind of mean. You know, and us guys, we're, we're usually slow picking up the, the cues from the other gender, but I've learned a few things in married life, so I'm starting to pick up these pieces. And, and I'm finding myself going, well, why is she being so mean to me? Well, I mean, she's young, she's immature, she doesn't know. Well, I'm her boss, and she has a difficult time relating to authority. And I start traveling down this road, and I had to stop myself and go, no, 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 I don't. All I know is her behavior. That's all I know. She's being short with me. Why? Those are the things hidden in her heart, not my place to judge. And so I came to her and I said, hey, I, you know, I'm, I could be wrong. I could be missing it, but can you help me understand? It feels like you're being really short with me. Can you help me understand that? You know, is that true? Is that not true? And so she goes into this whole thing about how I don't trust her and she's emotional. She's crying, talking. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, slow down here. All, you know, let's look at my behavior. I wrote, I just wrote one sentence. That's all you know. And you assigned all these other motives to that and reacted emotionally to what I said. I said, let's back up to here and let me explain why I did that. So I explained it and she goes, oh, great. And it, it totally resolved it diffused this whole thing. And I think that's one of the other things. When we use godly judgment, when I stepped back to her and said, hey, I've seen your behavior. Can, can we talk? Can, can you help me understand this? That actually we were reconciled and she was reconciled to the Lord where before there was this big gap. And when I do ungodly judgment, there's almost always a separation between me and the people that I'm judging. When I'm assigning motives, when, when my wife does something and she goes, oh, she, she did it again, she, always doing that what's going on in my heart I, i'm emotionally i'm going because she's always doing that she, you know she's she's slowing she doesn't know okay and and when we start doing that we create separation and then that separation all of a sudden it becomes fact that that's true and then we can relate to people out of that now you imagine in a country of slovenia where communism has been going on and so you have these pastors who have just been beat up and beat up and beat up everyone's judging everyone everyone's motives are wrong we're the ones doing it right and they're the ones doing it wrong and we had an elders meeting a while ago and uh, this guy said down he had six pages single spaced of all the things the church leadership was doing wrong 
Now, I would say if I had to put a percentage, I'd say about 2% were legitimate, good questions, good thoughts, and 98% was him assigning motives to all the things that he's seen and done, where he actually doesn't have all the information. He doesn't know the whole story, but there's these unknowns, and he has to answer the question why, and so he travels down this road to where he is fed up, sick and tired of the church leadership. Uh, My wife's dad, who's the pastor of our church, went to a uh, meeting with our whole denomination in the country, and he got rebuked publicly because we had done a service with a Catholic church down the road. And they, they, they stepped in, you know, and they said, don't you care about the Reformation? Don't you care what Luther did, that he helped us escape from this, this broken church and gave us new life, that, you know, this Reformation? You don't care about that, you. And they traveled down this road of judging his motives. Now, what was the only motive they really knew? What was the real behavior that they knew? We did a service with the Catholic Church. That's, that's the only thing they know and are called to judge. And if they had asked him, if they had said, they didn't ask him, but if they had said, hey, can you help us understand why you did a service with the Catholic Church? He would have had the chance to say, well, we live in a country where everyone's divided, and we want to stand for unity. And we actually have spent time with this priest, and we think he's a believer. And we think it's great for our congregation to be able to work and see us taking steps towards unity, even if there's differences, that there's actually things that unite us. And we want to model that for our congregation. Now, that's really different from, you don't care about the Reformation, you don't care about our denomination, right? And yet, they didn't give him the chance to do that. And I think this happens all the time, that we slip into this this slippery slope of just assigning people's motives. It's, It's even unconscious. We don't even know we're doing it. Uh, my wife and I, she gave me permission to share this story. <coughs> uh, we're, we're at a, a retreat, and we were, it was one room with five of us, so it wasn't the best night's sleep. And we got up in the morning, and Katka was up with the kids, and I'm asleep with our, our newborn, and she says, she kind of wakes me up, and she says, hey, we don't have any diapers in the room. They're down in the diaper bag, uh, you know, down in the eating area. And so I'm, you know, I'm still asleep, and I go, okay. And I fall back asleep. So she gets up, you know, takes the kids, dresses them, heads down to breakfast. I get up a little bit later when our newborn wakes up. And we're leaving that day, so I pack up the room. She didn't even ask me to do that. I was thinking ahead, you know, how can I love my wife? Patting myself on the back the whole time. She's going to be so happy. She'll probably give me a big hug and a kiss, thank me. So I come down to breakfast. I got a little tailor. Here it comes. She's going to be so excited. And she's avoiding eye contact. And I say something, and she's kind of short back at me. Again, slow on the uptake. Mm, something's not right here. So I finally said, hey, what, you know, something wrong? What's going on? And she's like, she started talking about you. You know, she assigned all the motives of why I stayed in bed. And I don't remember what they were specifically. We don't need to get into that. But um, <laughs> she had this list of like why, she had to answer the question, why would he stay in bed when he knew we didn't have diapers? So she assigned an answer to that. My motives, what was going on in my heart. So she filled in all those. And what did it do to our relationship? It created this big separation between us, okay? Now, the only behavior she really knows is what? She, she gave me information about the diaper situation, and I stayed in bed. That's all we really know. Now, when I reflect back on it, I don't even really remember the conversation. I was half asleep, kind of said, okay, thank you, and I fell back asleep. And there was no conversation in my head about 
ooh, should I get up? That would be really, you know, loving to her. It's a long ways downstairs. Yeah, I'll get, no, I want to stay in bed. Mm, I choose myself. I'm going to stay in bed. Now, I didn't have that, and yet she felt like I had. (coughs) (coughs) And so as we go through this, when I judge behavior, I think we're following what God wants, and we start doing this motive, we go against what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians, that we're, we're stepping into places that aren't ours to judge. Now, um, I've been in ministry for about 10 years now and work with lots of people, hundreds of youth, people in our church, other pastors. And you know how many times I've had someone come to me and say, hey, David, would you, would you speak into my life? Do you, do you see areas of my life that, that I could grow and improve on? Areas that you see that, that need some work? You know how many times that's happened? I think one or two, Okay. And yet, if, if I look at the church, I'll speak for Slovenia here, um, everybody's great at judging everybody else, and yet my experience is that we've been terrible at being able to receive judgment. Because I don't think what Jesus is saying in, in Matthew here is that, well, some have planks and some have slivers, and some people just see totally clear and have perfect vision, and they're called to just judge everyone. He lumps everyone into the same category. He says, if you want to judge correctly, you need to take the plank out of your own eye, deal with your own stuff, then you can help others. So I actually think Jesus is saying, we all have planks. And I think we all need to be judged. Now, not judged motives, not uh, not this, but but someone that's close to us speaking in their lives going, hey, this is wrong. Can Can I love you and help you and point this out to you? Because if, if someone asked me what's my greatest weakness, I could list some, you know, habits and some different things. And yet, I really believe the greatest weakness I have is the stuff I don't see about myself. The stuff I don't know, the stuff that the Holy Spirit hasn't shown me or someone else hasn't spoke. Uh, we have a, a girl that was on one of our youth staff, and she all the time, everyone was always attacking her, just all the time. And you go, year after year after year of everyone attacking her. She's always innocent, but everyone else is wrong. And I'm just like, do you see a pattern here? And she's like, no, I don't. I mean, she's totally blind to this, and she's unwilling to receive a a voice that really loves her and cares about her to speak in and go, hey, this actually might be preventing you from seeing clearly. And I think as a church, both in Slovenia and I assume here, that, that it's really difficult for us to take that step to someone and go, hey, would you be willing to, to judge me? Would you speak in and to be able to receive that? <coughs> so as a result of that, as I started thinking about these things, because one, we're, we're forced to in our, our context, and then just me personally, as I started thinking about this, that my job is to be speaking into people's lives, and I want to be, I don't want to be walking around with planks, if I'm called to take slivers out of, of a lot of people. And so I made a commitment to, that there'd be three men in my life that I would talk to on a regular basis and say, hey, what do you see? What do you see in my life? It's part of my yearly job description, my evaluation, where I go, hey, you're my boss, open book. I know you love me. What do you see? Give it to me. And I have to prepare myself emotionally to receive that stuff. It's not like a really enjoyable conversation. And yet, those are the things that are preventing me from being the most effective for Christ that I can be. They're the things hindering me, the planks that I have in my eye that 
that keep me from really being able to see how to navigate and love and talk to people the way God wants. <coughs> so I want to show, can we go to the, the next slide here? So I just want to tell you a story of, of some cool stuff that happened when judgment was done in the right way. So this guy on the right, his name's Clement. That's a picture of him at the top when he got baptized in the Adriatic. Good place to get baptized. Now, he was friends, so Clement, this guy, was friends with a guy named Blake. They had been friends for 11 years. They had started elementary school, been friends. Blake's a believer. Clement was not. 11 years spending time, having Clement to his house, being an example to him. And, and about a year ago, they were, uh, Clement was spending the night at Blake's house, and lights are off, which is, you know, usually when guys start to have, like, a meaningful conversation. You can't do it earlier. And so he, uh, Blake said, hey, you know, where, where are you at with Jesus? Where, where, where are you at in your heart? And Clement said, well, I, you know, I believe. I think I'm a believer. Uh, you know, kind of gave, gave some answers. And Blake, he stood over here and he said, hey, can I, can I just make some observations? So this is two 15-year-olds talk. He said, hey, here's some things in your life that I don't think line up with what what God's standard is, what the, what the Bible says. So he just listed off a few things, boom, boom, boom. He says, based on those, I don't know that you're really believing like, like you think you are. And it led to a great conversation, a fruitful conversation. That night, Clement accepted Christ. And then uh, a few days later, Clement gets on Facebook, which if you're a high schooler, the, the ultimate goal is to just be accepted, fit in, be cool. And so Clement gets on Facebook and he writes this long message and says, hey, this is what I believe. This is the step I took. This is why I did it. This is how my life has changed. If you're interested in your life changing like that, call me up, write me back. I'll make time for you. So within a week, he had 15 people, 15 other high schoolers respond to him and say, hey, I want to I wanna hear more about that. So he meets with all 15, having these conversations. He keeps following up. He started some Bible studies with some of them. And one of the guys that he <coughs> met with was Yaka. So the two that are uh, arms around each other on the right. And so Yaka, he's a real intellectual guy and was asking lots of questions. So he started coming to youth group, hanging out. <clears throat> and then at camp, he came and uh, he, he, he pulled me aside on the last night and, and he said, I'd, I'd given a talk about, you know, I was talking about sin and needing to be saved. And I used the example of Titanic which is my favorite movie. No, I'm just kidding. Um, good movie, but not my favorite. And I had talked about how the ship, the ship has sunk for all of us. Like, it sank. Like, it's just a matter of time until we die spiritually. And there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's, there's not, we're lost. We're drowning. You know, you can do a few things, but working hard, being a good person, it doesn't help when the ship is sank. And that there's actually one lifeboat out there. And it's Jesus. And he says, I'm the only one who's paid for my spot. If you want it, here's a ticket. I'm willing to trade you spots and I'll get into the water and you can have my boat and live the best life possible. So I had these red raffle tickets and, <clears throat> and uh, a little bit later, people had a, an opportunity as a symbolic act to take one of those tickets to say, I, I believe. And so Yaka pulled me aside that night and he had a red ticket. And so I asked him a bunch of questions and he prayed and just awesome prayer. He's like, God, I know you love me. I've been, you've been whispering to me. You've been calling me. Just all this awesome stuff. You're just like, how does this come out of 16-year-olds? I don't know. And then Clement, um, the guy in the bottom picture, so it's me, Yaka, and then that guy, Primoz. That night, Clement led Primoz to the Lord. So again, 16-year-old, one-year-old believer leading his peers to the Lord. And then this last year, Yaka's mom has started coming to church, and she's like this close to accepting Christ. Now, all of this happened because one 15-year-old said, 
hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in, I'm going to speak, and I'm going to challenge in a loving, godly way some of your behavior. Because it's not lining up with, with what you're saying. Some, something's wrong here. Help me understand this. And it, it bore tons of fruit. Like this is just a chain reaction of what happened because someone was willing to do that. Now that was 11-year-old relationship. Okay? There had been lots of other opportunities to do this, maybe missed opportunities. And yet he decided, hey, I'm going to do that bold step, speak in, judge in a godly way. And I wonder for us how many missed opportunities there are in your marriage, with your neighbors, with other people in this body right here of, of things maybe you see, a behavior that doesn't line up. And instead of going and actually talking to them, I mean, that's what godly judgment, it always involves going and talking to someone, relating with them. And yet what we have to do is we sit back and we go, I mean, I mean you know, they're like that. That's how they are. They've always been that way. And we assign all these motives and it keeps us from really relating and stepping in and being the body that I think God has for us. Ephesians 4.15 talks about speaking truth and love. I think that's a great summary of this whole thing, to be speaking truth. Like, it's not just pretend stuff. It's actually speaking this stuff. It's saying, hey, your life, it's not matching up with this. And when that happens, I'm actually not the judge. Like, the judge already gave me the book, the ultimate judge he gave me. And I'm just comparing, considering, evaluating, going, hey, this isn't lining up. And when I come over here and do this, I'm acting like the judge, I, there's no standard for motives, and yet I'm assessing, deciding, dissecting. I, I become judge, and I think God's saying, hey, stick to the word, speak the truth, and do it in love. Back in Jesus' time, they didn't have mirrors, so if I actually had a splinter in my eye, I'd need to come to Steve and go, hey, this is killing me. Can you help me? And he, he can't fix my splinter from a long ways away. He actually has to get really close, intimate, reach in there, and help me get it out. I have to trust him. I have to be open and willing, and he has to come in and help me. And I think that same picture is really good for how we're called to judge other believers. That it's close, intimate, gentle, not hammer and chisel from afar. Okay, that just doesn't work. And, and the people that are willing to receive that kind of judgment, that are humble enough to say, hey, would, would you speak into my life? Would, would you say some words of what you see, those are the kind of people that I want to judge me. <laughs> and the people that aren't willing to receive judgment that are, you know, they go, hey, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. I do a good job of judging. I don't need anyone to judge me. Those are actually the people that I don't want to judge me because <laughs> I think they're unaware of their splinter. They're unaware that, that they're in just as much in need of grace as I am. And so my encouragement to you guys is that you'd be the kind of people that would be open and willing to receive that judgment. And for us in Slovenia, um, it's been years and years and years for me, 10 years, and lots more for my wife and their family of just being judged in just some of the most horrible, horrible ways. And yet they've come out the other side with a deeper love for the church. And to oversimplify a really complicated, long story, we, for about nine and a half years, we tried to restore and reconcile kind of a broken, dysfunctional, corrupt denomination. We tried everything possible year after year after year because we didn't want to just leave to, you know, pull the Balkan trick and just leave because we didn't like the authority. And it it never moved anywhere. It just actually caused more and more and more problems. And so this last year, about six months ago, we decided rather than trying to fix this thing, we're just going to, we're going to partner with all the people that are for the kingdom. And so 
we got together, and right before we came back to the States, there's 22 men that sat around in a room, all different kinds of denominations, all working together to say, hey, we want to be for God's kingdom. We need to be humble men and recognize we're going to mess up. We're going to hurt each other. But we want to be the kind of team that works together. And so for us, you have no idea how big of a miracle that is for us. We, we were on the phone Skyping with our parents, and they were like, this is the best day ever when we got to have this meeting. The best day ever, because for the first time ever, you have a group of men, leaders in the church saying, we want to work together, and we're willing to do it, and we're willing to do the things necessary. And sometimes that means having hard conversations with each other, and they're doing it, and it's bearing much fruit in the church. So just a couple final thoughts as I close. (coughs) I imagine um, for all of us in life, and especially sometimes here in the church, we've experienced ungodly judgment from people. We've been attacked, harsh words based on motives that weren't true. And I think if, if you've experienced that, I think you're in good company with Jesus because he was also judged for his motives and they hung him on a cross <laughs> for it. And yet from the cross, he said, forgive them, Father. I forgive them for what they did. They don't even know what they're doing. And so if you're in a spot similar to that where you've been hurt, burned, whether by another person, pastor, whatever, you have the ability to forgive, just like Jesus did. And I also think the picture of Jesus is a great one because God didn't judge us from afar. He actually sent his son to be a messenger, to bring this message of truth and love right close to us. You know, that intimate, he's like, I'm with you. I'm one of you. He took on flesh and blood so that he could relate to us in a way that we could receive it. And so what a great picture that God's done that. And I think as we reflect on that, or I hope as you reflect on that, the cross becomes just really intimate that you remember just how far God has brought you, what he's done for you, your need of grace today more than ever. And I think when that cross becomes new and fresh again, we're at a place then where we're able to reach in and and take slivers out of our brothers and sisters. And it's when we forget that message of what God's done for us that, that we start sliding down into this place where we're ungodly judging people. And ultimately, the best part is that the real judge, the ultimate judge, he's coming back. <laughs> he's going to make everything right, fix everything, and, uh, and that's a hope that we get to have, that he's, he's coming back and he'll judge it perfectly um, when he comes. You're up. <laughs>